Hey, everybody, this is episode 30 of Artist Soapbox. Hello, and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassain. Today, I'm talking with Doreen Jacob, a Durham based artist, entrepreneur, mother, partner, friend, business bestie, scholar, and immigrant. Doreen is the owner of Dora, a business that explores what common objects can mean to us. She makes functional ceramics that tell stories and are infused with personal meaning by building collage works and layering multiple materials, vintage laces, embroidery, but also plants or even packaging material on clay. Doreen and her work can be found on Saturdays at the Durham Craft Market, by the Durham Farmers Market, at larger regional arts and craft festivals, and at a variety of local galleries and craft boutiques. Doreen holds a PhD in sociology. In this episode, we talk about how Doreen makes stories in clay, the life logistics and connections of a solo entrepreneur with a family, how she measures success, and what continues to inspire her. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Doreen. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. I wanted to start with a line from your biography here. You say that Dora is a business that explores what common objects can mean to us. I love that phrase because it is at once specific, but also very broad and offers a lot of breathing room. Can you talk about how you focused in on that particular phrase as a descriptor for your business? Mm -hmm. I thought about this for a really long time. So I make functional ceramics and I'm on, on purpose, not gallery pieces. And what is really important to me is that these pieces are infused with meaning. We have so much stuff in our houses. So as an artist, I don't want to contribute to more stuff. What I'm curious about it is is how can what we own have a very special meaning for us? Like, you know, things that we brought back from a vacation. Like I still have the mug that I bought when I was in Budapest when I was 18 and it has this like very intricate traditional pattern on it. So it it stands for a specific place, a specific experience. And so for me in my work, that's the kind of stories that I want to work with, the meaning that I want to portray. It's like, what does this object mean to me? Um, I'm working a lot with people directly, so I'm using um, textiles that are part of their own family heritage. You know, a lot of grandmothers crocheted or needlepointed, so I use these textiles and um, press them into into my pottery or plans from specific events or you know just just anything that's meaningful to people and kind of fuse that with a functional piece so that you can have that in your house and use it every day. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like this idea. It's a sort of three points, right? It's it's functional, you can use it. It's meaningful mm-hmm. because there's a story attached to it and then it's also beautiful. Yeah. So you're hitting those three points with one object. Let's go back a little bit and tell us about why you started working with ceramics and clay. Mm-hmm. 
So when I first came to North Carolina, I um, was working for the German Research Foundation online, and I didn't know anyone. I didn't really have any reason to leave the house. And I had always wanted to work with Clay. I remember um, in I went to hi uh, high school in Canada for one year, and they had a pottery wheel in the art room, and that was really interesting to me. And I didn't have time to explore it then. Um, so that got kind of stuck in the back of my mind that clay was something I was interested in. And so once I was in North Carolina, I thought, hey, if not here, where else? It's such a traditional um, medium in North Carolina. And so a few months after I came here, I enrolled myself into a pottery class. And the rest is just kind of history. <laughs> it's pretty amazing how it went. <laughs> And your pieces are very distinctive. So when I when I see something that you've made, I automatically know that it's yours. How Thank did you. you develop this signature look? Mm -hmm. It was it was very very quickly. I already in my first class actually. It's it's quite fascinating for me to look back at the older pieces. They're about an inch wide, <laughs> really thick, pottery heavy. Uh, but I already started playing with uh, natural materials and with textiles. Um, for me, it has everything to do with, again, with story and a sense of place. So um, my family has, uh, like our family craft, basically, in a lot of ways, is textiles. So my grandmother was a seamstress and a fashion designer, if you would call it that back then. My mother knitted a lot for us. My grandmother crocheted. My great-grandmother needlepointed. And so for me as a child growing up, it was all about making textiles, working with, with fiber. I had a sewing machine when I was, I think, maybe six. It was one of those like Singer pedal machines without yes. electricity. And I was sewing all of my sister. My sister had a lot of girlfriends, and they all had Barbie dolls, and I would sew all of their clothes, and I would kept me busy the whole year doing that for all of those birthday parties. So, so textiles have always been something I've been really drawn to, and the clay kind of enabled me to to combine both of those mediums. And again, you know, me associating clay with North Carolina and like giving me a sense of place and figuring out where I was and then bringing my own history to it just felt really powerful. So this this idea of place, which carries through your work, not only the state of North Carolina and the sort of history that, that North Carolina has with pottery, but at a very local level as well, the materials that you uh, use to create your work, you find locally mm -hmm. and then you exhibit locally. Mm -hmm. Why this local focus? I think for me, it was about building community, you know, and and again, I I was so transient the years before. Um, so I'm from East Germany. I lived in Canada. I lived in the in New York before I lived in Australia, in India, in England. Um, I kind of. In grad school, I moved every three months. I kind of went between Berlin and New York back and forth. And so that is just kind of a little bit the opposite of what I'm – it's sometimes quite strange what I'm doing <laughs> that, that, that I decided in my second career to be so place-specific after not being place-specific at all. But um, I also have a very strong fascination for, for 
for uh, you know urbanism and the city and the scale and how cities are built and managed. So so me kind of working with like the Durham skyline in my work is just kind of a translation from my previous career in urban and urban studies into the new career, basically. How are you handling the changing skyscape landscape of Durham? <laughs> I have to draw a new skyline every year. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet we can we can chart, you know, when you made a particular mm-hmm. piece by mm-hmm. the way that the skyline yeah. Uh, yeah. is depicted. Uh-huh. And they because they kind of have to stay the same size-wise, it's really interesting. Like the 21, what is now the 21C building used to be the tallest. It's kind of shrinking periodic, like every year. <laughs> it gets smaller on the image because the other buildings around it are, well, the, the new city center is just so tall. Right. Dora is your full-time work. Mm-hmm. So you are an artist, mm-hmm. you are a solo entrepreneur, you're a mom, you're a spouse. Those are many different full-time yes. jobs. How do those roles bump up against each other? And do you find that they even complement each other occasionally? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was hopeful. <laughs> I, you know, when my son, my son is going to be four in June. Uh, when he was about two, everybody kind of asked you, so are you going to have a second child? And at some point I would say to people, I have two children. I have a human and I have a business and they never play together. It's really like you're doing one or you're doing the other. And I think especially as artists and there's, I think there's finally a little bit more talk about this. In your work, you need you need time. You need time to think. You need time to just kind of, you know, get into the zone and be creative. And being a parent is you have all these, like, mini breaks of times. 20-minute nap, maybe. That doesn't work for me. I can't go in this. Like, by the time I go in a studio and I get my hands dirty, it's time for me to to get out, get out again. So um, I work during daycare hours and then, then you know, it's kind of family time. And then um, I sometimes do a little bit of work in the evenings, but I, I try to minimize that so that I actually have time for my partner also. Mm-hmm. It is very challenging that the way that children break up our focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's the time... The time is there, but it's in these, you know, 15-second increments or three minutes of downtime. And at least for me, it's unexpected. So it's like, oh, all of a sudden they're playing. Mm -hmm. Quick, run and do some things, you know. But that doesn't – it's really hard to make progress when you're working with these small increments of surprise time. So it sounds like what you are doing is uh, setting aside discrete long chunks of time Mm -hmm. where you can actually get your work done and make real progress. Yeah, Yeah, I'm blocking. And I have to say, you know, um, this would, I have a very supportive partner. This would not work by my, I often think about that. How would that work if I was by myself? Because I, I always work on weekends in addition to the week. And so, uh, and I'm, I'm not from here, so I don't have a family support network here. Um, so you have to also build that with, like, you know, closer friends and kind of, you know, try. It really takes a village to raise a kid, especially when you're working in such a fluid environment where you're gone a lot on weekends and then you try to make your art during the during the weekdays. Mm-hmm. What do your weekends look like? Because you are showing at markets over the course mm-hmm. of the weekend, and I mm-hmm. think you have to get up 
really early. What does that rhythm look like? So market, um, the official hours are 8 to 12. So you're usually there by 6. So you get up like 5.30 or something. Um, And then we set up. uh, We have a little bit of time before 8 where we kind of shop with each other, like especially the craftspeople with the farmers. Uh, And then... And then you, we close it, the market closes at 12 and then you kind of, you know, kind of pack up again and you're home by one. And before most, so it's really quite interesting, the demographics there, there's not many people with children of such a young age because they all go home and take naps (laughs) and and that's not really happening in our family. So, um, so it's a, it's a quite an exhausting schedule. And then, you know, I do about one larger festival a month where I'm gone Saturday and Sunday. Does that mean that you work six days a week? Yeah, or seven. Uh-huh. Or seven. Yeah. You talked a little bit about this, but I want to circle back to the motherhood artist mm-hmm. piece. Have you found that the way you approach your artistic work has changed since having a child? And I understand logistically that it's probably changed quite dramatically. But has anything else changed about the way you approach your artistic work? I think there's two things. Um, I do think that maybe, as I was thinking about this, maybe aesthetically there might be some changes too. I think I'm more, you know, when you become a mother, you become a different person in a lot of ways. I think for me, it's you become softer, um, more connected to life in different areas. And so working with people's families, textiles, is something that touches me more now, I think, since now I have my own family and I can feel those feelings more. Um, also, I founded my business, the business part of what I do in September 2013, and I found out I was pregnant in October 2013. So um, they very much go hand in hand together. And a lot of the things, you know, it's it's hard to, to untangle what is a family dynamic and what is a business dynamic because they kind of grew up together. Mm-hmm. So that means that Dora is four, five? Nearly five nearly years five old. Nearly five years old. Yeah. What kind of learning curves have you did you face ramping up and how did you decide to take the leap of starting this business Mm -hmm. that's a big leap that's a big leap um so my professional background so i um came from academia i have a phd in sociology and an ma in geography and um for 10 years i've been working in research around arts and culture. So I interviewed about, I think we once counted, I think I I interviewed and worked with about 600 artists and arts organizations and kind of stakeholders in arts and culture around the globe. And um, it, it was just after 10 years, I kind of felt like I wanted a new challenge and a different challenge, something that was different than writing yet another you know, 15 papers. Um, And so I already knew about the infrastructure in Durham with the Durham craft market. And so I I knew that 
there would be um, a regular sales opportunity, like a weekly one and not just like hopping from one place to another. That was really important to know that I already had like a little tiny thing I could dock myself onto. And um, yeah, and then I just was like, I can't, I was in England before and I, and I came back and I thought, okay, this is, this is, this is the moment um, where right before tenure, basically, where I could jump, jump off before I would be tenured. Um, and, um, and just made that leap and kind of felt like I want to see what it is like to really practice what I had preached after doing all this work on the other, on the other side mm -hmm. of the kind of cultural industries. Um, and, and it's been a huge learning process. Um, I'm really excited. I'm kind of revamping a lot of the business aspects right now. Um, it seems like that's something that happens to a lot of people when they get into like their five-year anniversary that you kind of have a routine in what you're doing and then you're kind of moving into a new phase. And that's where I am right now with, with my business. Talk a little bit about that new phase. So I've um, decided to really um in, instead of basically what many artists do is they grow larger and bigger you would hire an assistant you'd make more work um to be more financially sustainable that that is not the direction that i'm interested in uh i want to grow deeper if that's the right word uh i want to work a lot more directly with clients so really um, utilizing that storytelling aspect that I was talking about before in terms of working with their materials, their story. So it's all around the idea of your story in clay. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to do and just, um, being more or creating more meaning. That's what I'm, but not just more, again, not just more stuff, but really creating more meaning and more stories. So this would be work that is commissioned, yes. essentially, for yeah. you. And do you have some examples about uh, mm -hmm. of what that might look like? Mm -hmm. So I every year I, wor I work with a lot of um, people around weddings. Um, so two examples, for instance, was I uh, was invited to do a big pl a place setting for a wedding in Duke that was hosted in Do Gardens. And so what we did was we used um, just foliage and just things that were on, on the ground. We didn't pick anything, but we used things that were laying on the ground at Do Gardens and pressed those into the the plates and the bowls so that there's the kind of memory. Um, or I worked with another couple last year where we actually worked uh, after the wedding with them. So they had all my pieces on their wedding registry. So every guest could purchase like a individual item, a bowl, a plate, something. Um, and then she brought her wedding dress. I had his shoes, his belt. I had all the flowers from the bouquet and then some other meaningful items for them that we used mm -hmm. for, for like their dining room set, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so they always have that memory of, of that that special day that all of their friends gifted them together jointly. Oh, that's a lovely idea. I found a quote uh, of an interview that you did talking about this idea of grow of growing deeper mm -hmm. rather than larger, and you mentioned 
something called bespoke work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is this phrase? I've never heard. Is that a British word? We use that a lot in my research. So what I basically mean by that is uh, like specially commissioned uh, work. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That was, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. There's uh, in, in the UK, you use that word a lot. Everything is bespoke. Okay. It means just kind of unique, one of a kind. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Do you not use that here so much? Well, I don't. Okay. I mean, but <laughs> but I have a limited sphere. So you're doing everything. You're mm-hmm. everywhere, as we just mentioned. You have a packed schedule. And how do you handle this massive workload that you're carrying? Well, again, I think I'm I'm trying to get better at seeking support and reaching out for help. I'm uh blocking time. So I'm I'm trying to be as mindful and present with people or with the work that I do in the specific time slots that I allocate to them. Because otherwise, it just drives me crazy. It's just too many things at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big planner and scheduler, like three different calendar apps and reminders. And I have to write everything down. And I also noticed that it's okay to let people wait hmm. sometimes, you know, it's uh, everybody wants to have a response or in my previous job, it was, you we're supposed to respond to people within two hours. I can't do that sometimes because I'm in the studio and that's just, I need to focus. Like I'm just shutting everything off when I'm in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very interested in how you take a piece from inspiration through its sort of final Mm -hmm. uh, produced Mm -hmm. life, because that's one phase, right? The the creation through finishing a piece. And I want to hear about that in a minute. And then you also have all of the business that's wrapped around the actual getting that piece into somebody else's hands. So would you take us through kind of the life of (laughs) of a Dora? Piece, right? The life cycle. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, there, there's first two distinctions. Am I making this to take to market, or am I making it for a specific person? But let's say I'm taking it to market. Um, let's say we're making a big salad bowl, right? So um, I already have an idea of like some of the shapes. I make like three different, four different types of shapes. So I'm deciding on that, and then I will basically, I will roll out the clay. I hand build. I don't throw anymore because that lends, it's much slower, but it lends itself better to the kind of um, textural work that I do. Um, And then I would decide on the textiles first. So I'm going to have textiles on the bottom. I'm going to put my slap on there. Uh, I'm going to start pressing in textiles on the top, and then I'm going to make decisions about Am I going to use plant materials? Uh, one of the nice things, I moved um, studios uh, exactly a year ago. I moved out of a collective studio, Claymakers, into my own space. So that changed my work a little bit more because now I have my garden close by. And like every morning I can kind of roam around my garden and pick leaves and flowers and things. And then they end up all in my studio, which is a really nice way of starting your work day. 
So I'll have my plant materials. I make decisions. Am I going to put a stencil on there? Some kind of, you know, I do birds or skylines or something. Um, and then I press all those in in different layers, different times. And then I'm making the shape. So I cut things I have. Uh, and again, that's where the textile work comes in for me. is It's all about pattern making. So when you hand build, you have... Uh, patterns that you made out of paper or plastic or sometimes even um, clay. And then you cut the wet clay into the shape of the pattern and you kind of fold it up and then you, you um, close the seams. You don't have a sewing machine, but you kind of smudge things. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, uh, I find it really interesting how these two seemingly very distinct mediums actually have so many things in common. Um, and then the work needs to sit for a day or two and then I will go back to it and I will, I cut it in like the right height and, and just kind of make some adjustments to it. Um, a few weeks later, I will kind of play with it a little, I will handle it at different stages again, but eventually it gets fired for the first time in the kiln. We call that bisqueware, um, for, from greenware to bisqueware, um, at about, I think I'm currently firing about like 1,800 degrees. It's about a day. Um, and then um, then I stain my work, and I use like underglazes and stains and washes. So I rub colors into all the little indentations that I, that like the crochet or the lace or the, um, um, the embroidery left in the clay. And then I have to rub everything off again so that the colors only float into those indentations. Then it needs to dry another day. <laughs> uh, the bottom um, gets painted with a wax resist. No, no glazes are supposed to be on the bottom because glazes, it's a liquid glass basically. So it's kind of like a super glue would stick to the kiln shelf. And then you finally going to glaze the work and it goes back into the kiln and I fire it at about 2,300 degrees. And that takes about a, a day and a half actually for mm. that to be done. And then that whole process about six weeks, four to six weeks. So you always, again, you have to plan very far in advance. Like right now I'm thinking, okay, I have like these festivals in May. What will I need for these festivals? And that's my schedule for March Mm. and early April. Yeah. Um, So that's the making side. And then you asked me about the business side, right? Um, That's really interesting because I feel like the more my business grows, the more the business side grows um, or the more attention it demands if you want to grow, you know, and I find actually the growing part really interesting and fascinating. I I don't really like to be stuck in the same place. Um, So there's, you know, a lot of work around a applying for festivals. And so you need to have like really great photography to get into those places. They're all extraordinarily expensive. Um, and then acquiring customers for commission work is a lot of marketing on social media and getting your name out there. Um, and, you know, just kind of building a reputation. If you were to work with someone on a commissioned piece, mm-hmm. How might that look different? What would your your meeting with a a client look like? So I invite them to come to my studio. I invite them to bring 
the work, uh, like if they have textiles or like if they have special things, sometimes they, they don't. Sometimes they're like, you just, sometimes it's more just like, here's the style that I like. I want this to be more floral. I want this to be more abstract or I want like this color. So not everyone has their own textiles, but if they do have them or plant materials or, you know, whatnot, I recently worked with seashells and dried cacti, everything, everything goes. Then I invite them to come and we will actually play a little bit. Like I'll roll out some clay and I show them what, you know, what it does and the kind of um, shapes that we could do. It's usually people who've seen my work and who've kind of eyed it and kind of played around in their head with it a little bit. And then they have an idea and then one day they're ready and they're like, yes, this is what we want to do. As a solo entrepreneur, and, and you also have a kiln your own studio. Mm-hmm. I wonder if sometimes you can feel a little alone, not lonely necessarily, but there's there's something very solo about that and about the type of work that you're making. So how do you find support for yourself as an artist and a business person? Yes. I think this is so, so important. I was just last week talking to my former colleague in the UK and there's some new research that they're working on around mental health for craft for craftspeople because so many of us work by ourselves. Um, and I think there's that piece, but I think as a society as a whole, I recently thought about that. So as a sociologist, you know, I, I'm very much aware of the tendencies to for, for like social relationships to to get untangled there was a really interesting book that came out in 2000 by by Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone um where he looked at how our social relationships are not as strong anymore in our family bonds and i would actually say that that has transferred into the working life also i mean there's more and more people being um self-employed more and more people working from home even though they're employed for larger companies um, where I live in Moorhead Hill, the block that I live on, on both, where you live on a corner, on both sides, every single woman, so it's about like 10 people work from home. We have a lunch club that we mm, meet occasionally. Nice. Um, so, so knowing that and, um, being very much aware of that when I made that transformation from my collective studio to my home studio, I, I made a few changes. So, um, during the work week, I go to the gym first thing in the morning. Uh, and it's, it's a boot camp style. So I see the sim- similar people every morning. And it's just like a nice thing just to say hello and good morning, kind of as if I was working, like walking into an office mm-hmm. pretty much. And then, um, about over a year and a half ago, I joined a group called We Collective, Women Entrepreneur Collective, uh, which is a Durham, primarily Durham based, a female identified group for um for solo or small entrepreneurs and that's been really amazing so i so there's um monthly meetings in small groups but we also have i have an accountability partner through the group i'm part of kind of like a, a reading slash kind of business development group that works that meets every month um, I chair a committee there. So I'm like I'm the committee chair for con- uh, professional development. So then I'm also in the leadership. I have like five meetings with that every month. So that kind of 
and they've become close friends of mine by now. So that's kind of my business environment. And that's, that's been really, really important for me to have that support group. And then with markets, you know, there's the Drumcraft market. We see each other a lot. And with the festivals, there's a circuit of people that, that you run into. So there's a lot of camaraderie there too. So, so you do have your peers, but you have to seek them out. They're not, everybody is singular and, and you have to make an effort. I know that you're very intentional about growth, the growth of your business, your personal and professional growth. What are your benchmarks for success? <laughs> Do you have those? Do they change? I am personally really interested in this idea of how we think about this word success. And um, what are your thoughts? This is a really big question. We discuss that sometimes within the business collective, but also within the crafts community. It's so easy to pin success on financial numbers. And I don't, I don't think that's all. I think, you know, you still have to love what you do. Otherwise, it generally doesn't make financial sense to do it. It with, with, you know, only for a handful of artists. Um, do you, I remember when I grew up, um, when I was in high school and trying to figure out what I wanted to study for college, I, my idea of being an artist, and I've always done art, was to wake up in the morning and think about art. And that kind of still plays a role for me in terms of like how I define what I do. Is this still something that like I wake up and I have an idea in my head and I can't wait to go into the studio to to kind of work on that. Is that still happening? Is inspiration still happening? Or am I burning out? You know, uh, am I still excited to go to market? Or is this becoming really a, a lame drag thing that I have to do? Um, so I'm, I'm trying to ask myself those questions instead of just pinning it on the financials. I mean, they do have to be in place since this is my livelihood. So I am very attuned to the fact that I have to meet certain numbers for myself. Like I have to be able to pay the bills with what I do. And that's hard when you have a child where the babysitter gets paid a certain hour and you know exactly, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like you can't work under that hour because then why? Like, did you do that? So, so it's, it's very complicated. I don't think I answered your questions, but those are my thoughts. Well, I think it's a it's a question that's a moving target, yeah. right? It's it's yeah. ever shifting, yeah. and my interest is tracking that and how mm -hmm. that might change for us over time. Uh, because I know that what I considered to be a success twenty years ago is not the same as it is today, especially now that I have a family mm -hmm. and. Sometimes I feel what is successful is just getting out of the house in the morning fully clothed and yes. <laughs> everyone's fed. And <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. In that regard, like going from A to B without a tantrum is very, I'm very successful. It's that a win. Happened. That's yes, right. I brushed his teeth within three minutes. We made it. <laughs> right. But, you know, we also want to grow as artists. And, and how do we do that in a way that feels good mm -hmm. and that affirms our identity mm -hmm. there and when you are dealing with something that if you're talking about a four to six week lead time how do you you know 
how do you chart growth over the next one year, two years, three years, five years when your timeline is diffuse? Yes. And also you get told about your growth from so many different sources. So like, you know, I have a square reader with which I charge people's credit cards. So I get weekly, monthly, annual updates with like bars and charts and graphs that will compare exactly what happened um, like from this Saturday to the next Saturday or for like this day, last day, last year. Like just so much statistics behind these these things, which is wonderful, but can also be quite distracting. Um, and yeah, all that is to say that is important, but there's there there needs to be other parameters to to success also. Like for instance, like how well how is your family doing? Are they all happy and not just closed and fed, but like are they alive and energetic and rested and and all those those things? I, and I mean, for me, um, travel is still very important. So if we can figure out how to go on a trip every year, that's amazing. Doesn't happen every year, but if I or if I like if I could go can go home every once in a while, go back to Berlin, that's great. Mm -hmm. Then we've we've achieved our goals in many ways. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the business of art. And I must say that I have so much respect for what you do because you do so much business <laughs> in addition to the art making. What is the creative fire mm -hmm. that pushes you to keep making? What do these pieces mean to you as a creator? For me, again, it all comes back to the storytelling. I get very excited about about that piece. And I think, you know, as I'm sitting here and thinking about the progression also of things, it is in a lot of ways also similarly aligned with my academic career was also about interviewing people, gathering stories, and, you know, kind of um, working with those stories and and then in, in the written way. Um, now doing that on clay is a little bit more exciting to me. Um, but the, the, the idea behind it, what gets me energized and just really into, into enthusiastic is, is still very much the same. It's the like understanding of the, of the story. And I have, even when I, when I don't work with other people's materials, I always have a story in mind for each and every single piece that I create. So it's like the first thing that I think about is like, oh, if I like put this material here, like I really work like a collage artist. So if I put this material here and this one here and this one here, oh, this could be like a, like this could be like the sky and this could be like the, the trees or like there's like this assembly and this kind of like thinking in your head of what this could be and mean and what the story behind every ob object is. I love that. I love the intentionality mm -hmm. of not only the way that you make the pieces, but also people who choose to buy your work. They are, there is some intentionality there, as you mentioned at the very beginning of yes. our interview, not just to fill our lives with more stuff mm -hmm. that means nothing. Mm -hmm. It just takes up space, but rather to fill our lives with objects that, that have a depth to them mm -hmm. of meaning. Mm -hmm. I love this idea. Yeah. Thank you. 
So what are your plans for Dora this year? Mm. What's next for you? Well, so as I said, 2017 was all about building my kind of physical space, my my studio. Um, more work still needs to be done there, unfortunately. I feel like every few months I'm finding something that doesn't work. Or like January was terrible because the heater was not able to heat the studio properly because it was so cold, so all the clay froze. Hi. <laughs> um, so... So that's still a work in progress, but I'm also um, with with um, you know with like the five year men- bar- benchmark approaching. I'm very much retooling my business. Uh, I'm going to have a brand new logo and website, so I'm kind of building my virtual space now. Um, and uh, I'm making work for like a bigger photo session and really kind of breaking more into the market of being a service provider to people. So as as I said, like being more intentional about working directly on commissions with people. That's the part that's the most fascinating to me. And that's where I want to grow more into. And that is a brand new experience because it, it requires so much branding and marketing to get the word out, which is not something that I had to do previously. So I'm learning a lot right now. And how do people find you? So people can find me uh, on Instagram at uh, Dora Ceramics and on my eventually brand new website, doraceramics.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for You're being welcome. here today, Doreen. It's lovely to talk to you. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, kick us a few dollars via our Patreon page, patreon.com slash artistsoapbox. We are recording today in Durham at Shadowbox Studio, shadowboxstudio.org. All of the links and show notes will be on our website, artistsoapbox.org. Thank you so much, Doreen. And we're out. <laughs>